Let me ask you to open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 will be there in just a, a moment to talk about this psalm and some of the things that I hope that will help you as we journey along life's pathway. I read an interesting story about a man named William McPherson. An explosion actually caused him to lose his eyes. It caused him to lose his ears and uh, without the use of his hands. And so he was unable to read and even learn Braille with his hands. So he learned to use his tongue. And learning Braille uh, with a tongue, you know, can be a very uh, difficult thing, but it can also be a very brutal thing because uh, it left his tongue raw and bleeding. But over a period of time, uh, he was able to learn to read Braille and uh, over another period of time, he learned to read the Bible, and he read the Bible through many times using his tongue. I've wondered if given the same conditions, if I'd have that same dedication in reading the scriptures that, that he had. I imagine that many, if not most of us, would, never, would settle never to read the Bible again. Of course, we live in a different time than McPherson in that we have audio that is something that can help us in circumstances like that, but uh, he was not so blessed. His story uh, led me uh, to ask several questions. In perfect health, do we see the Bible important enough to take a few minutes every day to, to read it? Do we read the Bible when we don't feel very well, when we kind of have had a hard day at work, when you're just too tired? When you think about that and compare your life with somebody like McPherson, you wonder, uh, you know, just you, you almost wish you'd never heard of him and the effort that he put in uh, to read uh, the scriptures. So the basic question really uh, for all of us is do we really read the scriptures and uh, are we really people of the book? Uh, I believe we should be. I think you do uh, as well. I believe that we in many cases claim to be people of, of the book. But sometimes I wonder if we really are. Are we really people of the book like we think and claim to be? And maybe even sometimes, in, some, in the case of some of us who are older, like we used to be. Because uh, in some cases, those of us who are older we used to be people of the book, but maybe we're not so much anymore. We've kind of rested on our steady laurels and, and really don't continue to grow in that way. So uh, what I want to do this morning for just a few minutes is talk about a Bible passage in Psalm 119 uh, that will help us as we learn more and more about the Word of God. Now, before I say more, I want to make a, a few observations about Psalm 119. First, it's the longest psalm in a book of psalms. And if you think of the Psalm 119 as a chapter, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It takes up about four and three-quarter pages uh, in my uh, particular Bible. If we merely count the verses, not the words now, but the verses, this psalm is longer than Galatians and Ephesians combined and also longer than First and Second Peter combined. It's a psalm of praise for the Word of God. And as you uh, look at the different words, there are eight terms, eight different terms that are used to describe uh, the Word of God in this psalm. There's the word law. It's used 25 times in this psalm. And understanding, we're not talking about, uh, just, we're only talking about 176 verses here. And so it's used 25 times, the word law. Testimony is used 23 times. 
precepts used 21 times, statutes 22 times, commandments 22 times, and then so on with judgments, words, and, and ordinances used fewer times than those uh, first five, but still, you know, they're used quite a bit. To describe the law of God, each of them may have a, a little bit different nuance with regard to what it's trying to tell us about the Word of God, but uh, they all refer to the Word of, of God. And by the way, these numbers come from the New American Standard Bible, and if you're using a different translation, the numbers may vary just a little bit, but, but not a whole lot. Psalm 119 contains a reference to God's Word in one way or another, in almost every verse, there's possibly six or seven exceptions to that, but in almost every verse there is a reference to the Word of God. Now, if you've got your Bible open and you are looking at the psalm, what, you, what you're going to see is something different than in any of the rest of the psalms. Even though there are other, this is an acrostic psalm, and even though there are other acrostic psalms, uh, it doesn't have this kind of uh, division to it, and certainly uh, not this kind of structure, and, and it really helps us. Because in this psalm, there are 22 sections in the psalm, and each section has eight verses. Each of these sections is named for one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and you will see it there as it is in your, as in your text, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, and so forth. Now, what, what you can't see in the English is that each one of the lines begins with that letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you may be asking yourself, why would somebody go to that, uh, uh, go to that trouble? I think that it's there. Uh, in fact, I'm quite confident that it's there to aid in memorization. Because this psalm was something that was to be memorized. It was something to be held in memory. And with that structure, it becomes a lot easier to remember. You can memorize it sections at a time and know that each, each uh, line is going to begin with Aleph the, in the first section. And the, sec, the second section, as you add that to your memory bank, each of the lines are going to begin with Beth. And so, uh, and, and so on throughout the psalm. Now, the writer of the psalm is not identified, but there are indications that it was a young man. For example, in Psalm 119 and verse 9, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. And so it seems like he's writing from the standpoint of a young man. How, how can maybe I keep my way pure? I've got to do it by the word of God. And if that uh, was not enough, in Psalm, uh, in the one, in the 90, let me just say, 99th verse, 90th, 100th, 100th verse, I have more insight than all my teachers. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged. And so that tells you that he is a younger person. But something that is really interesting to me about this Psalm is that though he was younger, he had already experienced a lot of headache, heartbreak, and a lot of hardship. He either had or was experiencing uh, reproach and contempt. Uh, he had experienced grief. He had ex experienced affliction and derision and bondage and lies and persecution and snares, op oppression and, and trouble and anguish. So as you go through all of this psalm and you read about all of these experiences, yes, he's a young man, but he's had a difficult life. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And he approached his age in about the best way you possibly can by taking counsel from the law of the Lord. 
And so he really believed in God's word. And throughout it all, the psalmist is going to celebrate the, the law uh, with, uh, and, and he's going to highlight its importance uh, to God's people and even to himself as he goes throughout. He talks about it being a, a light to our pathway. Uh, a food for our soul. So when when we are in those dark days and we need light to enlighten our way, turn to the Word of God. Uh, when we are are hungering for for something beyond what we are getting around us, and certainly craving something more than physical food to sustain us in difficult times. This provides food for the soul. Uh, when we are hurting, it provides comfort for the aching hearts. When we are merry, it provides us a song to sing. Uh, when we are in, in danger from things that are around us, it provides protection from our surroundings. When we are needing a direction to go, it's our compass, it's our, it's our guiding star. Every one of us are pilgrims traveling through this world. And so the comp- this... Uh, uh, this psalm provides us with everything that we can possibly need. So there is no doubt, in my mind anyway, that given the message of the psalm, that we need to be people of this book. We need the same thing that this uh, psalmist uh, uh, said that the book would provide. And so with that in mind, if, if we're going to be people of the book, if we really want to be people of the book, the first thing that we're going to have to do is read the book. That's the first thing we're going to have to do. It's not enough to own a copy of the Bible. It's not enough to have three or four copies of the Bible sitting on our shelves at, at home. You know, sometimes people will have a, a nice copy of the Bible sitting on a coffee table in the living room, and, and those things are good. It means that it's uh, available to us just any time we want to turn to it. The Bible has been the perennial bestseller. In fact, uh, I suppose it's been the number one bestseller uh, in, in the whole world, at least over the years. But it's probably the least read bestseller that there, there's ever been. And again, displaying a copy of the Bible for as good as that is, is just not enough. And it won't make you a good Bible student. Just bringing a copy of the Bible uh, with you to Bible study doesn't necessarily make you a good Bible student. To be a people of the book, we've got to read the book. Now, while the command to read, and I find this very interesting, by the way. When you read this psalm, you will not find one time the word read in this psalm. It seems to me that a psalm that was devoted to the Word of God should somewhere in that command us to actually read it. But that word is not found here. Now, even though it's not found, I want to suggest to you it is implied in every single verse. For example, if you will look at verse 6. When I shall not be, then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. And so he's going to look upon the commandments. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Verse 29, grant me your law. Verse 45, and I will walk at liberty. I will seek your precepts. And I could go on and, and on as we go through the, the psalm. And, and you could see that there are statements there that are made that imply reading. And this is especially true when we look at other passages in the Word of God that suggest to us that we should indeed be reading the Word. Uh, Moses instructed the children of Israel. I want you to keep your marker in Psalm 119. Don't want you to ever get far from there in our study this morning. I want you to turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17. Because I think this is something that Moses highlights that, that we sometimes skip over. I want you to think about, and by the way, you parents... 
This is absolutely one of the best things that you can do for your children. Uh, my oldest son does this with his children, and I think it is amazing. I didn't do this. Wish I had. Read with me Deuteronomy 17, beginning in verse 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. So here's what Moses is saying. One of these days you're going to have a king. He, he knew what was going to happen, that they would want a king to be like all the nations around them, right? He knew it was going to take place. So he said, when you have this king, here's what I want you to do. I want this king to handwrite in the presence of the priest his own copy of the law. And as he writes this copy of the law, he needs to be able to read it all the days of his life, that copy of the law that was penned by his own hand. Now, what I'm suggesting to you parents is, is that as your children get to the point where they can actually write, then you need to have them start writing the New Testament. Let them write out by hand the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, I started to do this. I have an essential tremor in my right hand, and so I cannot, I, I cannot write anything that would be legible. But if you start with maybe you're at your age or you start at the, the age of your children, you can encourage them to do this, and it will be a great thing. So the king was to read. Write it and read it down. God commanded the law actually to be read by the priest every seven years, the whole law in the presence of all, all the people. When Israel entered Canaan, Joshua divided them in two, part on Mount Ebal, part on Mount Gerizim, and he read to them in the hearing of Israel all the law. After the children of Israel returned from Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah assembled in Ezra, read the law in the book of uh, Numbers chapter 8 and the first eight verses. When people came to Jesus... With various religious questions, he often responded to them. His first response was, have you not read? Did you not open the book of the law and read? The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they examined the scriptures daily. Paul told Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, do not neglect the public reading of scripture. And then he emphasized to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I really love that passage and I've spent a lot of time pondering it. Because people find sometimes, that they'll talk about how difficult the Bible is to understand. We can't understand the Bible alike. You know why I believe that's so? I believe it's so because we don't read it. Uh, most Bibles are written on a 5th to 7th grade level, most translations. And so that means that most of us who are able to read can read. And Paul is saying that if you read, you can understand. Now, we might have to read like one of my friends, uh, one of my preacher friends does before he ever studies a book. He says he reads through it some 30 times. And that's amazing to me that, that I, I, I don't, I confess to you that I don't do that. But it is amazing to me that he does that in preparation to, uh, to study a passage of Scripture, even as old as he is. And I think that is, that's been impressive to me. 
I shouldn't emulate that even at my age. I shouldn't emulate doing that very thing. And I just want to say all of that to say that if we're going to be people of the book, what we've got to do is we've got to read. Now, that's the first step. And this is where we must begin. But just reading God's Word, even if we do it on a regular basis, will not make us a people of the book. We've got to go further than that. The next step is to know the book. It's not enough to read it. Reading God's Word doesn't automatically result in knowing it. Uh, Reading without thought, reading without meditation, reading just to check off our daily Bible reading uh, for uh, uh, the day is really of little value unless... It's possible for us to read God's Word without ever coming to really know it. Jesus was talking to the unbelieving Jews in John 5, and verse 39. And He said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me. Have you ever wondered just why it was that the Jews, as dedicated as they were to keeping the law, did not recognize Jesus when he came? Now, I think there are a number of reasons that that might have been the case. But I think one of the reasons is is that they they read the law without understanding. They read the law, but but they didn't get it. Do you remember in Acts chapter 8 when the Ethiopian eunuch was riding uh, along and he was reading uh, the prophet Isaiah? And I want you to notice that carefully as you read that text, that Philip heard him reading, so that means he was reading it out loud. And so this man, an Ethiopian nobleman, likely had an honor reading out loud for more ears than his own. And Philip heard him reading. And the question that Philip asked him was, do you understand what you are reading? And the man honestly and humbly confessed, how can I unless some man guide me? So there was some reading going on, and I don't doubt but that he understood some of the things that he was reading. But I also know that he didn't understand everything that he was reading. He knew that there were principles in Isaiah 53 that he should grasp but wasn't grasping. And when Philip asked him if he understood, he said, I need someone to guide me. So there is the reading, and then there is the knowledge. Our, our psalm stresses the importance of knowing God's Word. Psalm 119 and verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. He wants to understand the things of God. Look at verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts. I want to understand. Throughout the psalm, he's seeking instruction. Verse 45, I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. He wants to learn God's word. Look at verse 7. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn of your righteous judgments. He craves that understanding. Make me understand the way of your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. Verse 27. They are treasures in his heart. Verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. It was the object of his meditation. Oh, how I love your law. Verse 97. It is my meditation all the day. Now, I want to hesitate here and talk about that a minute. What does it mean to meditate? Okay, guys, 
You know when uh, your wife's birthday or a special anniversary comes along and you want to buy her maybe a ring to commemorate the occasion. And you go down to the local Walmart Supercenter and you go up to the jewelry counter and there's this big old tall stand that's got all the rings in it. And so, you know, usually when I talk about going to Walmart for this thing, people laugh. And it's okay if you laugh, all right? But anyway, you, you've got this thing at the bottom, this wheel at the bottom that you can take and rotate, and you can see everything that is in the display, right? That rotation is exactly what meditation is. What you do is you take a thought, and you revolve it in your mind, literally. That's the point. You revolve something in your mind, and when you do that, you know, if, you, if the lady asks you if you want to look at one of the rings, she'll open up the case and she'll give it to you. And then you'll take that thing and you'll look at it at every different angle to see if you really like it, right? That's what you do. You are meditating. That's the point. So you take a thought and you put it in your mind and you revolve it around. You look at it from this angle. You look at it from this angle. Uh, you look at it from every angle in order to be able to, to grasp the concept that is in the Word. And so that's what you're doing when you meditate. You are revolving something in your mind. And that's the second step. If we, if we really want to become people of the book, we don't just read it. We come to know it. And we come to know it through the process of meditation. But once again, knowing God's Word, uh, will not make us people of the book. Uh, uh, reading, knowing, if we leave it there, that's not as far as we need to go. We need to take another step. We need to obey what we read. And I guess that you could have expected me to make this point. Uh, reading, knowing without doing, I think really misses the whole point of the Word of God from the very get-go. You remember James said, prove yourselves doers of the word and not hearers only. James 1 and, and verse uh, 22. But if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's uh, like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten uh, what kind of person he really is. And so what you're doing, uh, some of you are too young to remember this actually happening. Many of you are. But you've seen the old reruns of Happy Days. And you've seen the Fonz. And what the Fonz would do is he would take his comb out of his pocket and he would look into the mirror and it would start to comb his hair and then he'd just go like this and he'd put his comb back in his pocket because how can you improve upon perfection? Uh, that was what happened with, uh, with him. And, and so what we see here is that if a person doesn't do the will of God, he's kind of like me. He goes to the mirror of a morning and his hair looks so disheveled that, uh, you, you know, hardly, he wouldn't want anybody but his wife to see that, not really his wife. And then instead of combing his hair like he should, he goes out into uh, the world in the unkempt uh, appearance. And, and so uh, the point here in James is that he's got to see himself in the mirror and then he's got to do something about it. He's got to change his spiritual appearance. And he does that by obeying the word of God. So to be a people of the book, we not only have to read it, we not only have to know it, we actually have to do it. Obedience is stressed throughout this psalm. 
walking in the law of the Lord. Verse 1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the way of the Lord. Look at how verse 4 describes it. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Look at verse 166. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and do your commandments. Uh, look at verse 59. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. And so he turned his feet. He allowed it to alter the course or the pathway of his, of his life. He was afraid of, of not, uh, he was afraid of turning aside from it. In Psalm 119 verse 51, the arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. So he was walking in the pathway of the Lord. He was doing it and there was a, a fear that he would turn aside from it and not do what the Lord wanted him to do. Verse 87 says, they almost destroyed me on the earth, but as for me, I did not forsake your precepts. I was going to keep your precepts, I was going to follow them, and I was not going to forsake them. But not only did this psalmist tell us how, or that he was going to obey, he also told us how we should obey the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 57. I love this stanza. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. Do you remember the day that you came up out of the water grave of baptism? When that happened, you felt clean. Uh, You felt like you were starting all over. And you were both clean and starting all over. But starting all over, there, there were some things implied in your obedience and actually specifically in your repentance that said, I'm going to do better than what I did before. And I'm going to pledge to keep God's way. And, and obedience to the gospel is really a pledge that you're going to live in the ways of, of God. It's a promise that you're making to God. It's not good to break promises. It's never good to vow and not keep that vow. That's not not the right thing to do. In verse 106, he says, I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. Now, does, does that describe the kind of person you are? Have you made that promise to God? That's a very important promise to make to him. He, he was so grateful, the, the psalmist was, that in verse 62, he says, At midnight I shall rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. Have you ever wakened in the middle of the night and you just can't go back to sleep quickly? And your thoughts drift to God, and not just to your failures, but also to your relationship with God, and the first thing you think about is, is praying to Him and, and, and thanking Him for what He has done for you and the path that He has provided for you. I, I have on many occasions uh, thanked God for putting me where I am and, and all the blessings that He's giving me. He's given me the opportunity to come to Jessup, Georgia and meet you uh, and to be encouraged by you. Uh, and, and I sometimes, will, I'll go home, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and, and I'll think about you. And I'll think about the, uh, the uh, conversations that, that we've had. And, and some of you uh, whom I've known uh, in the past and under different, con- different contexts like Mark, uh, and I'll be thinking about,
about you and just, it'll just thrill my soul uh, to see Jonathan here because I knew his uh, granddaddy. Uh, and uh, we were good friends, and his grandmother as well. And, and I think, well, you know what a wonderful thing. Here it is. Their, their grandson is over in Jessup, Georgia, uh, and meaning something. I, you know, I, I know others of your, of your past and the connections that we've made. And, and I will think about those things, and I will thank God for them. Be grateful because of the path that he's put us in. And that's what we see here as we obey the God. Obey God. Uh, by the way, he said that he would obey without delay. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments, verse 60. And that really resonates with me as I talk to people who sometimes know they ought to obey but haven't yet. What God is saying is you don't delay. You go ahead and, and you obey now. Another, especially at this stage in my life, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a minute in the next lesson. In verse 33, he said, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. You know, as I've thought about this path that is my life, I thought that I would get to a point where serving God would be easier. I, I thought that I would reach a certain point when it wasn't a struggle. But what I have learned is that though your conviction may deepen and your heart is stayed in Him, there are still times when trouble comes and, and times when just maybe physical difficulties will arise and, and you'll, you'll think it's easy to give up right here. It, it's really easy to stop right here. But then there's another thought that comes, and that is, I want to see this thing through. I've already spent too much of my life in vain pursuits, because I've hit one of those every now and then. But I, I've committed my life to a certain course, and I've tried to keep that through the years. And I'm starting the eighth decade of my life, and I don't want to give up. I've done committed and gone too far. The psalmist said, I'm going to observe your precepts to the end. That was his commitment. And that needs to be your commitment too. Not just mine, but your commitment too. So this is the third step. If you want to become a people of the book, it's the step that you have to take. But then there's yet another. It's not enough just to read the book. It's not enough just to know it and obey it. And you might have anticipated what I'm going to say here you need to be able to proclaim it. You need to be able to teach the book of God. Reading, knowing, obeying uh, is vitally, all, all this is vitally important, but there's still more. We've got to talk about it with other people. I want you to consider how the psalmist talks about teaching and proclaiming the word of God in, in this psalm. Look at verse 13. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances. Verse 43. Do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Verse 46. I will also speak of your testimonies. Verse 172, let my tongue sing of your word. I want to talk with you for just a minute about something else as, as pertaining to this. People ask me, what is the secret to church growth? I think I know. I, I really think I know. And what I mean by that is I think the secret to church growth is in making noise. Making noise. 
The truth of the matter is, in most churches, I'll say many churches, the community doesn't even know you're there. They will pass by the building, and if it's a new building going up, they may notice it. But after a few days, they don't even notice the building anymore. Okay? They pass by and have no idea. Occasionally now, what will happen is you'll put up a sign like this out, uh, outside, and there'll be something there that will grab their attention. And they may, they, they may have thought, well, you know, I didn't know who that was and what they were doing. And all of a sudden, it'll get their attention, and it'll mean something to them when they see something like that. So here is where the secret to church growth really comes into fruition. And that's where in every day of your life, in every facet of your life, people are not only seeing your conduct, but that you are talking about the church. You are talking about Jesus Christ. And you can do that in Every area of your life, no matter where you work, no matter what uh, you do for recreation, you can smatter your conversation with things about God and let people know that you are a person of God. And you'd be surprised at how many doors that will open to you. You've got to make noise. People have to know who you are. And people have to know what you are, are doing. And I think that's the point that is made when we talk about teaching. Not all of our teaching will fall on deaf ears. A lot of it will. Maybe most of it will. But then you're not looking for just anybody. You're searching for those who are searching for Him. And unless someone knows that you're walking in the way of the Lord by what you do and the things that you say, you're never going to draw anybody to the Christ of Calvary. So that you've got to make noise. Now, I don't think any of us should be surprised to find this, given the, everything that the Bible has to say about teaching. Uh, this was Moses' responsibility to the children of Israel. Uh, in Exodus chapter 18, verse 20, God told him, Teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. You tell them, Moses, you let them know. You, you give them a knowledge of me and what I want them to do. Aaron and his priest, again, were given that same responsibility in Leviticus chapter 10. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, the uh, fathers of Israel were told that they needed to teach their uh, children diligently everywhere they went. King Artaxerxes told Ezra when he came back, led the people back from uh, Babylonian captivity, you teach anyone who is ignorant of God's ways, Ezra chapter 7 and, and verse 25. And then when we come to the New Testament, we see that command over and over and over again. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, And trust these faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And, and time would fail me to talk about all of the passages in the New Testament uh, that tell us we need to read and to know. And you see the th same thing throughout this song. And if we are to be a people of the book, we ought to proclaim the book. Tell people about its contents. Allow the Word of God to have its way in our hearts and in the hearts of men that we know and love. We love people. We only show that we love people by helping them go to heaven. If you're not helping somebody go to heaven, any claims that you make with regarding to loving people sound pretty hollow to me. And I think they sound pretty hollow to God too. So if we want to be a people of the book, we read the book, we know the book, we obey the book, and we teach the book. And then that leaves one final thing. If we're going to be people of the book, we're going to have to love the book. 
reading the Bible, understanding its concepts, obeying its precepts, and proclaiming it to the world. All these are incredibly important. But if we really want to be the people of God, there's this one step. To be a people of the book, we have to have a heart for the Word of God. Now, I want to, I want to say this. That this point could actually be injected into this lesson at any point along the way. Uh, this doesn't necessarily have to be the pinnacle of what it means to become a person of the book. You could actually even start with this point and it be a, a valid point. I just want you to consider the words in our psalm that show the attitude that the psalmist had toward the Word of God. Verse 47, I shall delight in your commandments which I love. He loved the Word of God. Verse 48, and I shall lift up my hands to your commandments which I love. Verse 97, oh how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. If you love something, what do you do? You think about it. If you love your wife, if you love your children, if you love your brethren, what are you doing? You're thinking about them. And in fact, most of the time, you're going to let them know you're thinking about them. This, this is who we are. The law of the Lord, he loved the law. And in fact, to, to add another emotion to it, he rejoiced in the law. Look at verse 14. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. Look at verse 111. I have in inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. You know, he, this was the, the psalmist. I can just picture him being the kind of person who would come over to your house at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night to talk about what the Word of God said. Now that's what I, that's what I picture because we crave to know the law of the Lord and we, we're happy. We rejoice in that law. He says, I shall delight in your statutes. He longs for the law of God. He said, Behold, I long for your pre precepts. Re revive me again in your righteousness. Uh, verse 131. He, he clung to the testimonies of the Lord in verse 31. He stood in awe of what God said. My heart stands in awe of your words. Uh, verse 161. Now my question is, what happens within a heart that has such a passion for the law of God? I want to suggest to you that loving God and His Word will result in an utter abhorrence of anything and everything that is contrary to it. And so that's why in verse 53, he says, Burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked. Have you ever seen wickedness in somebody? And especially this is going to happen when you see wickedness in somebody who's supposed to know better. And it just gets your gut and, and, and it just causes you to uh, turn inside out because of what they're doing. In verse 104, from your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. You, you see that false way in somebody and it just, it just tears your gut all to pieces. 
And this is found over and over and over again in verse 113. I hate those who are double-minded. Verse 30, uh, 139, because my adversaries have forgotten your ways, my zeal has consumed me. In verse 158, I behold the treacherous and loathe them. When you have this passion for the law of the Lord and you love it like the psalmist did, when other people are not walking according to the law, that's going to bother you. And it's going to bother you a lot. The psalmist tells us that loving God's word is going to re result in an intense sorrow and grief over disobedience. I want you to look at verse 136. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. I'm going to tell you that if you have never experienced this, then you just haven't lived long enough. Because the day will come, the day will come, when you'll shed tears and grief over what somebody else has done, that they violated the law of God. It'll, it, it will happen. I'll tell you, I fear that having this kind of attitude toward sin, hating and abhorring sin, evil and vice, I think it's a real challenge for us. In a pluralistic, a communal society that says, let's just live and let live, I'm okay, you're okay, can't we get along, can't we just go along to get along uh, in, in that kind of atmosphere, don't, don't judge anything that I do is the attitude of, of the day. I fear that we become too accustomed to uh, e evil and in fact I think we become too tolerant of it. Instead of hating every false way, we've come desensitized to disobedient sin and error and we just slough it off as just the way people are going to live, but me and my family are going to live differently and never the twain shall meet. We need to have a stronger attitude toward sin and evil. And that really will come when we realize how valuable the Word of God is. It's better than gold or silver, verse 72. It's, it's sweeter than honey, verse 103. And you can just go on through and you can read how the psalmist felt that the Word of God was, was valuable. I want you to ask yourself the question this morning. Why in the world would Jim preach a lesson like this? Uh, why is Jim talking about, especially after everything we've said this, uh, this, this week and the direction that the uh, meeting has gone, uh, why did Jim preach a lesson like this? Well, here it is. Number one, I want you to start doing whatever it is you have been neglecting. When it comes to the Word of God and obedience, if there's something that has been neglected, I want you to start doing it, okay? I'm not going to sit in judgment on you. I don't know you well enough to tell you what these things might be. But if there's anything in your life that you're neglecting, uh, any area of your life that you're overlooking, I, I want you to stop it. And, and I want you to pay attention to it. And I want you to follow it. And then I want you to keep on doing it. I, I want you to keep on doing the right thing. But having said that, I want to include a caveat. Being a person of the book, being a people of the book is not really the end result that we're looking for. Have you thought about that? I want you to be a people of the book, but even after you've become a people of the book, if you miss this last thing, then uh, you, you've just missed it all. The end is about being the people of God. That's the end. And ultimately, it's not about, about the Word of God. Ultimately, it's about the God of the Word. That's what it's all about. Uh, it's being a people of the book and knowing the book, understanding it, obeying it, 
keeping rules, that's not the end result. The end result is that you be changed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what the end of it is. It's not about the Word of God at all. It's about the God of the Word. The Word of God is the means to the end. And that's what we're looking for. Okay, I've gone just a little bit over time. Sorry about that. Let's just stop right there and we'll pick up in a worship in just a minute.